0: On this podcast, we talk with rural mavericks, futurists, and researchers to raise bold voices for rural people and places. I'm Caitlin, producer of the show, and I'm asking you to do your part. Support the Rural Futures podcast by leaving a review, which helps new listeners find us, and become a sponsor by visiting ruralfutures.nebraska.edu slash podcast.
1: It's about access to communication and access to people who can help them. You know, I look at even the field of dietetics and how far we've come in the last five years.
0: Rural Futures, the podcast where we connect thought leaders and doers at the intersection of technology and what it means to be human. Every episode, we talk with entrepreneurs, researchers, and achievers to create impact for generations to come. And now, here's Dr. Connie.
2: Welcome back to the Rural Futures Podcast. Joining us today is Amber Pankin. Amber is a registered dietitian, recipe developer, and nutrition communicator based in Lincoln, Nebraska. Welcome to the podcast, Amber. Thanks for having me. I should say you're also a fellow podcaster, Healthy Under Pressure, which everybody should be listening to.
1: (laughs) Thank you so much. I know we've talked about podcasting.
2: It's a fun thing to do. It is fun. And we're so excited to have people tuned in here to listen to what you have to say. And I would like to just dive into a little bit more background. Tell us a little bit about your business. I'm a registered dietitian and nutrition communicator
1: healthy under pressure highlights the stories and struggles of entrepreneurs and busy people who are trying to stay healthy under pressure. I'm doing a lot of recipe development and also brand work. So I create messages for brands and companies who really need help getting those messages to consumers in terms of how food is produced and how we can make meals at home, you know, that are simple and easy. I love producing recipes like that, right, for busy people like ourselves that we can just whip up in minutes and have on the table in 30 minutes or less.
2: That really makes you my hero, <laughs> I've <have> got <to> say, because <laughs> we do. A lot of us need that. Mm-hmm. It tells a little bit, too, now, what got you interested in this? And what do you do? And We know kind of a little bit about what you do, but tell us a little bit more about being a dietitian and some of the avenues people take in this space. Absolutely.
1: So I actually became interested in dietetics because I studied nutrition science during college. I actually thought I was going to maybe go to PA school. Oh, really? (laughs) But uh, I took a little detour and spent some time living in D.C. I came back to Lincoln. I worked as a cook. For about a year and I realized, you know, I think I really want to pursue dietetics, which is when I applied to the internship at the University of Nebraska and really went that route. And what I learned is that dietitians practice in a number of different areas. So we find dietitians who are in the academic space. So maybe they're teaching or they're doing research We see dieticians who are working in the school system. So maybe they're planning menus or, you know, they're working in the kitchen in terms of staffing the kitchen. We also see that in the clinical side too. So we have dieticians who are managing hospital kitchens and managing employees. And then we see those dieticians who are actually working alongside the nurses and the doctors and all of the different practitioners who are managing nutrition for a patient. And that's actually what I did for a number of years before I stepped into more of a communicator role.
2: A lot of times when we hear a word like dietitian, we're not quite clear about what it is, (laughs) let alone all the different career paths you can take Right,
1: right. Well, the first uh, four, what, the first three letters, excuse me, of the word diet, right, or die. (laughs) (laughs) Good point. So, it doesn't always sound appealing, and you know, a lot of people think that dietitians are food police, and I swear we're not. (laughs) I love food, right, which is why I'm a dietitian. So, I love talking about food, I love talking about how to prepare food, and really talking about how food
2: nourishes us and can really set us up for success. Okay. Mm -hmm. I know also you teach at the University of Nebraska-Lincoln. So tell us about your classes that you're teaching as well and why you do that.
1: Right. So my favorite professor in college at UNL came to me a few years ago and asked me to teach Nutrition 250. Which is human nutrition and metabolism, and this semester I'm actually teaching nutrition for optimal wellness. So it's really fun because there's a, a different mix of students in there. They're going to be future dietitians, PTs, OTs, uh, personal trainers, strength and conditioning coaches, and it's all about the application of nutrition.
2: Well, that's so interesting to think about. You know how you're teaching. You know, and obviously podcasting, but just the influence and reach you have on so many different professions and even entrepreneurs Mm -hmm. by doing what you do.
1: What I found is after I left my clinical role, I didn't have any colleagues around me anymore. You know how you would sit in a break room, right? And you've got people around you. I didn't have that anymore. And I really found that on social media I remember jumping on Twitter and doing searches for dietitians, and I found dietitians who were all over the country. And so that really inspired me then to learn about what they were doing and how they were running businesses, which really, I guess, encouraged me to make that jump into uh, entrepreneurship.
2: So is there a defining moment that you decided to start a business, or was it more kind of just a thoughtful process? Tell us a little bit about your entrepreneurial journey.
1: Well, I was raised by entrepreneurs and I married an entrepreneur, and I have a lot of friends who are entrepreneurs. So, so <laughs> you're surrounded. I'm surrounded. I'm surrounded. But, you know, there was a moment, and it was actually, again, when I was working as a clinical dietitian. My role in that was to calculate tube feeds for patients. So, just how, you know, babies have formula that they have to get fed every few hours. Well, when we have a critical patient, we do the same thing for them. I am not a huge fan of math. I mean, I can do math, but it's not like my favorite thing. But I remember sitting in the corner spot um, near a patient's room, and I'm calculating tube feeds, thinking, "What am I doing here?" Because I, I was so appreciative to have the job, but. I knew I wasn't using my skills and my talents to, you know, my full potential. And so that was when I said, I I need to figure out what I'm going to do
3: here. Do
2: you think your parents being entrepreneurs had any influence on your decision to, to start a business? Absolutely. You know, because I saw
1: risk being played out my whole life in terms of, you know, the things that my dad did and the support that my mom gave him through that whole process and especially to having siblings who are also entrepreneurial as well, I think just knowing that, okay, so you take a risk. If you fail, it's okay. You get back up and you figure out what you're going to do. And so when I took that risk, it was really kind of scary because I thought maybe we would have a runway with my husband and I. I thought, well, oh, maybe there's a runway of time here. Right, that I, I would have maybe a three to six month window before I really started, you know, or needed to have income. And my husband was actually let go from his job a month after I had quit mine. And so, yeah, right. And I know, other- <laughs> I, just, I, I just,
2: you know, that's it's such an amazing story.
1: <laughs> I know probably most people would freak out, and we did freak out. I mean, I'm not going to say we didn't sure. freak out, but I think we knew that it was going to be okay. And my husband was also raised by entrepreneurs, and so I think we both knew that, all right, this is when it's going to get real, and we will we will do this together.
2: You know that's so interesting to think about like the timing of that all mm-hmm. do you ever think there was a reason <laughs> like a, like the universe was trying to tell you something within that timing? You know, I
1: don't know if you're ever truly ready for entrepreneurship, and I think we just were given that push. And granted I I made the choice to leave my job but I could have sat on that for a very long time but I felt a peace in that and you know having the faith background that I do I just knew that it was going to be okay.
2: We're sitting here and we're actually recording this in your very <laughs> cool podcast studio. Um, in downtown Lincoln. But, you know, why are you here? And how does this all connect back to rural? I mean, we have you on as a rural maverick. I'm just going to state it. And we want to dive into that a little bit.
1: Sure. So, you know, when I was in grad school, I remember looking at nutrition communications as a potential avenue for me. And one of my professors laughed in my face she said, Amber, if you are going to do communications, you need to live in either L.A. or New York. You can't possibly do communications from Lincoln, Nebraska.
2: When, and how long, <laughs> when, wait a second. Back up, back up. I know. Okay. I'm, a, I'm really sad that that happened uh-huh. at the university, but B, this is, this is a critical communications piece. I mean, oh you really can't tell people these things and send that message. But, I mean, it sounds like obviously you had the great reaction to it, but... That's just disappointing. I mean, honestly, it's disappointing. But I I imagine that made you a little bit more of a rebel.
1: (laughs) Well, exactly. I think it really helped motivate me. And you'll be thrilled to know that this individual is no longer at the university. Uh, But honestly, social media, again, showed me that the world was flat. And it didn't matter where I lived. And so I could live in Lincoln, Nebraska, as we've talked about before, people have described Nebraska as a flyover state. That's not necessarily the case anymore because of digital communications, right? You can have those opportunities wherever you live. That conversation definitely motivated me to uh, move forward.
2: Well, that's (laughs) why we need rural mavericks and entrepreneurs out there to, you know, think about what people are saying, but then do what they Mm -hmm. want and need to do. Um, So we so appreciate that because one of the things we hear a lot at the Rural Futures Institute, obviously technology is a huge part of our focus. So is rural-urban collaboration. You've connected all of that. You're putting together rural and urban. You're connecting people through technology, but you're also helping them have a more positive outcome doing it. So tell us what you you see as success for your business. Where Where do you ultimately see this going? What's your vision? Not to
1: keep you know, going back to this conversation around social media, but it really did have an impact in that conversation because I had a really unique perspective in that I got to see what consumers were saying about food and nutrition, and that allowed me immediate access to them to be able to answer their questions no matter where they lived. And so I could jump in at that point, answer their questions, and build that relationship and it's been interesting to see, again, the evolution of those conversations and how we've advanced, you know, talking about food, nutrition, and agriculture and how the dietitian can work with scientists and work with farmers to really communicate that message about where food comes from.
2: You know, and I think that does influence people's thoughts about rural, mm-hmm. very much so. What do you see in that space? How do you see people maybe connecting or needing to reconnect And maybe how they would have their thoughts influenced about rural and where food comes from. Right. Well, it's interesting because I
1: think the stat is one in four are connected to the farm or connected to ag in some way. And that didn't used to be the case, right? Where most of us used to be connected to the farm or have a direct connection. And so consumers are being more removed from their food. And so I think it's really, really important to see our farmers and producers who are jumping into that conversation and I see myself more as a reinforcer of those messages and also helping them to understand here's how you talk to somebody about food and how it's produced same thing with the scientists because as you know being around researchers they can use some really big words that can sound really scary. You know, in fact, uh, I was on this tour a few months ago and we were talking about, uh, it, was, it had to do with canned food and the scientists had said something about ascorbic acid being added. And I remember this mom blogger behind me freaked out, right? She didn't understand that that's another term for vitamin C. And so being able to, I think, have those conversations with farmers and scientists and say, Here's how we can put it into everyday terms for consumers
2: to understand so that they don't fear their food. Yeah, I really appreciate that because it's true. I mean, you know, as an academic, you're sort of trained in one way, and so right. that's how you write and speak. But the end users, so many times of the information, you know, they're not in that space, but they just want that practical like what do i need to know sort of just in time information and i think people like you are really helping bridge that gap and this needed it's been needed for a long time you know the university and other places have talked about this need for ag literacy food literacy these types of things but starting in the middle of a cornfield is a really <laughs> hard place for people to learn
1: it's a really hard place and you know we call it ag twitter <laughs> <laughs> I think, again, social media really brought some community, you know, to farmers and producers to see that they weren't alone and that they could align themselves strategically, right, with dietitians and farmers and other food communicators who are willing to help them.
3: Welcome to Bold Voices, our segment with rock star students from the University of Nebraska who are making a difference in rural Hey podcast listeners, it's Katie, production specialist of the Rural Futures Podcast. With me today is Trevor Harlow, a senior political science and environmental studies dual major at the University of Nebraska-Omaha. Welcome, Trevor.
0: Hi, thanks for having me.
3: And thanks for being on. Now, are you from rural or why do you care so much about rural?
0: So originally I was born and raised in Waterloo, Nebraska, which is a small town, but I just have somebody who's really interested in administration at both a city, state, and federal level, I think it's really important and really critical to kind of look at those different uh, societies, those different ways of living in those different communities uh, based upon the urban and rural pipelines and see how they kind of interact and how they affect the overall functioning of a society.
3: Yeah, and I know that you got to really dive deep into that aspect of rural communities this summer through RFI Student Mm -hmm.
0: Serviceship yeah for sure so this past summer i spent my time in red cloud nebraska which is about three hours from omaha just on the kansas border um and really what i was doing is that city planning exactly we we worked on developing a comprehensive economic development plan so really that gave me a chance to critically look at a rural-based community and how they operate what they're doing good what they can be doing better and kind of just come up with an idea with them of how they can keep getting better in the future.
3: And from your experience being immersed in that rural community, what
0: do you see as the biggest opportunity in rural? A rural community, what's so special about it is since it's small and it's integrated with its citizens so well, you can come into a community like that and immediately become a prominent, known, and valued member of the community just by wanting to be active, which is so cool. So really anything you're interested in, you can come there you can make it known and you can show your passion for it i would say anybody no matter what you're interested in you can always find some aspect of that in rural just because of how community driven those places are so
3: how has rfi and your whole service ship experience really impacted your college career and then your plans looking forward
0: it's been one of the biggest impacts i've had in college i would probably even say the biggest impact honestly because Kind of prior to that, I wasn't really sure what I wanted to do, and I wasn't really sure how I wanted to go about doing it, but just getting an opportunity just to work in that kind of setting, city planning, developing a plan, looking, critically analyzing a community and looking at its benefits and what it can improve upon, that really got me thinking about that the public administration route is what I want to do, and that's kind of the future I want to pursue, So that was something I had in my mind beforehand, but it really helped me solidify that, and it gave me a great baseline training for it.
3: So do you have any advice for students who may be interested in rural communities and city planning?
0: I would definitely say the biggest one, especially with rural communities, is just to go out and be there. I mean, you don't have to live in one for 10 weeks like we did this summer to be immersed in them. You can just go and you can experience it. And just kind of see what it's about, and maybe it's not for everyone, but I think until you give it a try of just going out and experiencing it, you're never going to know. And it's also just important to keep your options open, because like I said earlier, all those communities, you really can do anything you want to do if you're passionate. So just leave it open, try to experience it, and just see what it can be for you.
3: Yeah, I think that whole concept of being open to the opportunity that lies in rural is so critical, Um, Mm -hmm. for us college students. And I know at RFI that we are very thankful that you were open to this opportunity of (laughs) RFI serviceship.
0: Yes, for sure.
3: So thank you, Trevor, for talking
2: to us today.
0: Thank you very much.
2: We've had a theme at the Rural Futures Institute of Why Rural, Why Now?, I think people, you know, are a little challenged around rural, understanding mm-hmm. rural. And so one of the things that we've talked about is the importance of where your food comes from. The world's food supply and even water supply largely come from rural. So if we're going to have a more sustainable future for all, Rural and urban have to work together, but people have to value rural and help the people living there. Mm. I think that if we're seeing more people who are removed from
1: food and agriculture, there is less respect. And there has been less respect in the past few years, especially online. You know, it's amazing when I see the conversation about farmers and producers and people living in rural communities and... I'm just floored, right? Because when I was little, my grandparents actually farmed. And I remember my mom and dad telling me that I needed to appreciate what was on my plate because a farmer worked really hard to produce that. And so I I feel like I have a very different perspective or had a different perspective growing up. I never would have insulted a farmer. (laughs) And so some of the conversation that I see right now just seems to be a little negative. It's a lack of respect. And I think it's because it's a lack of understanding of what people do, of what farmers do.
2: We've talked a lot about how do we create better research questions and better conversations. So it's not an either or, but it's a both and world. Right. Well, and I even look at the
1: curriculum for dietitians, right? I work with a lot of students and it's so interesting to me to hear their thoughts on food production. You know, they've been led to believe that the word process is bad. <laughs> and so, yeah, I can see
2: that, right. You know, right. It's,
1: it's having conversations like that to, to teach them that you are going to be, right, the future dietitian, the future trusted food and nutrition professional. You have to be able to answer questions about how food is produced Because so often we hear things from another person are those sound bites and we just pass them on as if they're truth without being skeptical. And so I think that's a really
2: important part of the conversation as well. You talked about processed food and, and sort of the negative vibes people get from that. So tell us a little bit more about why that's not always a negative. So even canned fruits and vegetables, right? It's a
1: processed food. And I know that folks we'll tend to think negatively about a canned food where actually some canned foods can be very nutritious because as you know, some are peaked right when they're the most nutritious. And even using that scary sounding ascorbic acid, right, which is vitamin C, right, that adds some really great nutrition. And so just because it says processed or you think of it as processed, processed can actually be a really good thing. Even when you pick an apple, you're technically processing. So there are a lot of ways that you can view that word. And I think we just need to shift, you know that word into being more of a positive than a negative.
2: Well, I know one of your areas of expertise is fake news. <laughs> you know, and I loved reading about that a little bit more when you gave us some background info about yourself. So tell us, What exactly is fake news and how do we get around that so we are getting the real information?
1: Well, it's funny because that term obviously has been used a lot in the last couple of years. But dietitians have been dealing with fake news forever because as you know, right, we can get food nutrition information from anywhere if it's on the internet, it must be true. Right, that's right. <laughs> and now we see, you know, that fake information being presented in those documentaries or what I like to call shockumentaries. And it's so easy to hear from a blogger who's not educated about food nutrition or agriculture, but they've built, an, you know, this massive following and they're considered an influencer and they're spreading that, what I would call, fake news.
2: The great thing about technology is you can build a platform. I think the challenge is anybody can build a platform. Mm -hmm. So it is confusing, I think, to see what's real, what's not, how do you sift through it, and really get information that you can use in a positive way.
1: I tell people that you need to look at whoever is writing that article, look for an author name, see if they have any credentials behind their name, see what their history is, who are they associated with, right? Who's funding them? I think that that all goes into being skeptical and doing the work of, you know, looking at that information.
2: I want to know about your leadership style. Mm -hmm. How would you characterize yourself as a leader?
1: (laughs) Well, I think I told you this earlier. I don't really know how to answer that, you know, because I've been in leadership roles and it's also awkward as an influencer, to be considered a leader, but I realize as an influencer, you are a leader, but I would say I love, you know, winning others over. I have that woo factor. You do.
2: I know you're (laughs) into Gallup Strengths like I am and you definitely have the woo factor. And I'm also an activator.
1: So I love to start things. I struggle with the finish as far as, you know, really carrying it out, but I just, I love to get people together and I love to work on things in groups with people And that's weird as a solopreneur, which is why I stay really active professionally within my state organization of dietitians, which is the Nebraska Academy of Nutrition and Dietetics. So I was president of that group about two years ago. I love to encourage, especially other RDs, to have a little more confidence in themselves and their skills in terms of asking for money in their job in terms of wanting other, you know, advancements in their job. And it's been such a fun thing to see my colleagues advance in the last few years.
2: Now, why do you think that's such a challenge for people to actually ask for what they want and feel like they're valuable enough to receive it? It's tough, you
1: know, especially as a new dietitian. I'll never forget this. One of my first jobs with a master's degree I was getting paid about $12 an hour. Oh, wow. And so I switched positions. I found a new job. And even then, it was pretty low. It was about $17 an hour. And then I found a cross posting from another position about an hour away. And I was able to take that to my employer and say, look at this. This is a $5 difference. <laughs> And I, at the time, I had a boss who was also a woman. She was incredible, and she took that you know, directly to administration, and I was able to get a pay increase. But I think it's tough, especially when you're a new graduate and when you are a woman. And I just, I think, I, I knew that there was more. I knew that that she could do something, so there was some trust there. But it's hard because I think we get intimidated. I don't think sometimes we have enough confidence to ask. And if you don't ask, you'll never know what the answer is.
2: That's right. I mean, good for you for just asking and trying that. But mm-hmm. what what gave you the confidence to go forward and do that? Well, it had been validated, right, by another job
1: posting. I knew that I could probably go there and get that job and get paid that amount and so that gave me some confidence, right? To be able to go and to, to ask. But you know, naturally too, I like you we talked about leadership earlier. I wanted to set an example for the rest of my peers and my colleagues to say you could do this. And even as a new graduate, it
2: was it was nice to be able to to get that done. Well, and do you feel like as a solopreneur, which is a choice you're making, you know, being a solopreneur, that you're st- Still paving and blazing that trail. I would say, especially for other female entrepreneurs, you know, we've talked about this, you know, in our pre pre-combo. You know, Nebraska's 50 out of 50 states for females in entrepreneurship. So it's always exciting to see a woman <laughs> right. in business like going for it. But how do you think, as a state, how could we foster more women in entrepreneurship?
1: Well, I know for myself, when I was considering possibly doing a tech startup. This was years ago, too. I had competed in a Startup Weekend project, or Startup Weekend event. And my team, we we won that event. And so it was kind of fun to just, I guess, imagine what it could be like, right, to maybe run a startup and what that could look like. And at the same time, my husband was also launching his startup. And we both quickly realized that we would be competing for funding. And (laughs) not that I didn't want to compete against my husband, but I also wanted to stay married.
2: (laughs) Right, no, I get that, I get that.
1: And so, uh, you know, I think there is, there's something to that competitive spirit. I don't know a lot of women who have that competitive spirit when it comes to entrepreneurship. I think the ones that you see who are doing it well? There is a spirit of competitiveness, and I think you have to have that.
2: Yeah, I think you know. Actually, competition is one of one of my top five, and I know Caitlin Ideas, our executive producer, is high in competition as well <laughs> when it comes to those Gallup strengths. And it's kind of interesting how that can play out because I think it also people don't expect it. Right, right. Well, we uh, I or I've
1: heard this phrase about collaboration over competition, and I would say you have to have both. You have to have that competitive spirit, but you also have to to learn how to work with other people, right? Because that is a part of being successful. I know I wouldn't be where I'm at today without my tribe, without my team of folks. And so you have to have both.
2: Tell us a little bit more about what brings you joy in your life. I mean, obviously healthy, under pressure, and, and ways to be healthy. And I love the way you talk about that, that it's the whole piece of physical, spiritual, nutrition, all of that. So tell us how you do that.
1: Well, when we think about wellness, it's so easy to just focus on what did you have for lunch that day? What kind of workout did you get in? And when I see the top 10 causes of death, Suicide now is included in that top 10 list. In fact, it's passed, I believe, um, certain types of cancer and heart disease as being in one of the top you know, causes of death. And so there's a lot that goes, into, that goes into that. And so you have to consider that it's not just about your physical wellness, right? We have to look at our emotional and our spiritual and our mental health and so I think it's a it's a mix, right, of what you're doing physically, including that good nutrition, getting some exercise, but also how you're nourishing your mind and your spirit. And I saw that personally with, you know, myself and my husband. We're both entrepreneurs. And, of course, when you're running a business, it's it's so tough, mm-hmm. right? And it's tough to take care of yourself. And so... We both quickly realized that there was more that we needed to do in terms of our our spiritual and our mental health.
2: So how do you keep those in check? You know, Mm -hmm. I know you help others with it. What are some things you do for yourselves? Right. So, of course, with nutrition, right, I make
1: sure that we try to eat a lot of our meals at home. I do online grocery shopping uh, just to help keep on track there. Um, but also, you know, making time for physical activity, I think, is super important. Getting outside is really important. Actually, so this is my, my hack with Peloton. I know you said you kind of like to bike. I bought a used spin bike, and then I just used the Peloton app. And I have found that that's one of my favorite ways to exercise oh, because nice. I love the music. And I love somebody coaching me through it. So that's one of my favorite, you know, forms of exercise right now. Maybe someday I'll get the real Peloton bike.
2: <laughs> I love a biking hack.
1: That's yeah, awesome. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And then in terms of just our, our spiritual wellness and our mental health, um, you know, we gather with a group of of friends every week, you know. So we attend church. We think that's really important to surround yourselves with people who can worship together. And so that's something that I know has been really important for us. And having a small group of friends, too, to walk with us and encourage us and to also ask us what those struggles are and for us to be self-aware, to be honest with them has also been really important for us.
2: I think this holistic approach to life has been such an advancement in society, and, and all, kind of a, a newer change, you know, relatively in the the history of time. Right. But how do you see this all evolving into the futurist? I'm going to ask you to put your futurist sure. hat on. I mean, you're in you're on the cutting edge of your work, and you are an influencer in this space. So, how do you see the evolution? What do you see as the future of your your area of nutrition, holistic living, right? All of these types of things put together. Well, as you
1: know, I think the stigma of mental health is, it's changing, and that's encouraging, uh, you know, to see that perspective. I also think in terms of nutrition, we're going to see that trend of what we call nutrigenomics. So it's very individualized nutrition care. And I think that that's going to be the future of wellness. Because right now, as you know, A lot of our recommendations are based on groups of populations, right? Very general nutrition recommendations, which are good. I I think in general, USDA, the MyPlate plan is actually a very good, healthy, balanced plate. But the role of the registered dietitian, I think, will be to get in there and see how do we really balance that plate for that one individual. And again, applying nutrition science you know, nutrigenomics into developing that specialized plan for people.
2: Do you see some technologies now that are starting to move things in that direction?
1: Oh, absolutely. I mean, I think even when you see the genetic testing going on where you can find, you know, what your background information is, you know, and all of that, We're definitely seeing some of that started. And we also see people who are doing a lot of studies right now in nutrigenomics. You know, that is a really hot thing in nutrition. Uh, Also, in addition to looking at the microbiome, right, we're seeing a lot of uh, really interesting studies looking at the microbiome and
2: how it really impacts health and future health. And, you know, and just to learn more about this, you know, this is where I think as a futurist, I just become a sponge. And it's so awesome to learn from people like yourself that are on the cutting edge of these technologies, because as we think about the future, a lot of this is already here. We're seeing this exponential growth in these spaces. But at the Rural Futures Institute, we've also been really trying to help people understand how can this help better the future of rural places, You know, how can advancements in science and technology Mm -hmm. really create a system that people can live and, and thrive in those rural areas? What are your thoughts around that? Right. Well, it's about access
1: to communication and access to people who can help them. You know, I look at even the field of dietetics and how far we've come in the last five years, right? Because we didn't used to have these platforms where you could connect to somebody virtually and be able to talk to a dietitian and have that safely monitored. But now we do. And so I think it's going to be really interesting to see even how that evolves in terms of connecting to an RD who can specifically help you with that issue that you're dealing with, not just a general
2: nutrition issue. I do quite a bit of work with the healthcare sector in terms of what does the future look like. And recently published a paper on the future of rural healthcare and One of the things that I think could be integrated more into some of that is exactly what you do. That health does equal life in so many ways, right? So if we don't have our health, we're not able to do much. You know, if you don't feel well, you're not as productive, you're not enjoying life, you're not out there. But I think in many ways, the medical profession is still a little bit of what's the diagnosis, here's the medication versus thinking about, could we personalize your diet? Could we look into this? Can we use some technology to do that? Um, so you don't have to have a hospital exactly where you live. Maybe there's some in-home pieces to that. Right. Well, it's about treatment versus prevention. And
1: dietitians are positioned to really help with that prevention piece, which is why I do what I do and why I communicate what I do. I think that's super important obviously I believe nutrition is really important, but I really cannot stand it when I see those messages of this is going to cure this disease. We can't say that. Not everyone is the same or has that same background, knowledge, and information. And so I think we have to be very, very careful about those messages. You know, pointing back to that phrase, you know, food is medicine Of course, I think food is so important. It can be nourishment. It can definitely help with prevention. But, you know, food does not replace medicine. So if you have high blood pressure, if you have diabetes, please keep taking your medication, right? Food can be a tool that can be used to help you manage those disease states. But we also need science and technology, I think, to help assist us with
2: that. No, I think that's a great way to word that. And I think that sort of coming together with all that is great advice for our listeners. So what top three tips would you have for those people listening there in terms of being a leader, an entrepreneur, or a maverick in your space? I would say don't isolate yourself. I think it can be so easy
1: to, to do what you do and not pay attention to the world around you and not think that it's important to build those relationships. And what I've seen, especially you know, with the farmers and the producers that I've worked with, is when they jumped on a social media platform or they started reaching out to other producers, they found community. And especially when they built community with scientists and dietitians. Who could help them oh nice and so that would be my first tip is just you know don't isolate yourself reach
2: out get help if you need it yeah i love that because i also know you know just from talking to you previously this transdisciplinary approach you take and i know that sounds like a kind of one of those big <laughs> academic words but bringing all these different areas together mm-hmm. you know to to figure this out in a little more robust but scientific way you know, you've talked about the importance of soil health mm-hmm. and nutrition. You've right. talked about the importance of social media and nutrition, um, and communication and understanding. And I think there's just a lot of lot of lessons we can all learn from that. Absolutely.
1: And I would say too, I think you should value your knowledge. Uh, often, I talk to farmers and producers who don't think that they have any value or anything to add to the conversation. Don't hold that information hostage. Share it with others and know that you can always add value to the conversation.
2: And what words of wisdom would you share for people who are in a business or maybe thinking about starting one? Definitely
1: take some time to come up with a game plan. Research a little bit. Try to validate your idea. I think that's really important. So often we think, oh, I'm just going to do this because people have to need this. Of course they need this. Well, ask that question. Go find a group of people that you can test that with. So if it's a product or service, make sure you've got a group of folks who are willing to pay for that product or service and ask them, how much would you pay for this product or service? So validate the idea
2: and then take the leap. Excellent. Thank you so much for being on the Rural Futures podcast. Um, We enjoyed this conversation, and take that to heart, listeners, Amber has a lot to share.
0: Thanks for listening to Rural Futures with Dr. Connie. Find us on social media at Rural Futures and share this podcast with your networks to raise bold voices for rural America. Next up, we have futurist Deborah Westfall, CEO of Toffler Associates, a future-focused strategic advisory firm based in Virginia. Toffler Associates guides private and public organizations through disruptions and transformations in preparation for future success.
2: It's easy to focus on the technology, and, and yes, there's so much technology that's maturing and advancing and that we, we lose sight of the implications to people and humanity and society. And this revolution that we're, we're in is, is human.